Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham. And the intention of this podcast is to talk in depth to somebody who is in tip-top condition, enjoying a great time in their life and career. I want to understand just how they got there and what makes them tick. So today, my guest is 28-year-old Red Bull driver, five-time Grand Prix winner, UFC fanatic, music maestro, the ever-effervescent, tenacious honey badger, Mr. Daniel Joseph Ricardo. Welcome. Oh, g'day. You even threw a middle name in there. Hey. Wow. Done my research. Yeah, I, I'm not too keen on my middle name, actually. I like it. It's biblical. Joseph. Yeah, tough to my dad. It's your dad's name. Yeah. Okay, so well, his, his real name, his actually his birth name is birth name is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Giuseppe, because he was born in Italy. So, okay. but the English translation is Joseph, okay. but we call him Joe. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so listen. Over the next hour or so, what I want to understand is just how a skinny little Sicilian kid who grew up in Perth went on to live the dream in Monaco and race for one of the most successful F1 teams of all time. Tell me a bit about your childhood. Tell me where you came from. Alrighty, so uh, where do we start? Um, well, Dad was born, so Italian surname Riccardo, uh, or as the Italians would say, Ricciardo. Hey, nice. It's a spaghetti. Well, why don't you say Ricciardo then instead of Riccardo? Well, yeah, we grew up in Australia, and Riccardo is is the more, I would say, Australian pronunciation. Like to get an Aussie say Ricciardo, it would sound like Ricciardo. It would just be weird. So um, we just grew up. I don't know. Riccardo was the way I was listening to it growing up from my parents and uh yeah so dad um well his family moved to Oz when they were about seven he was about seven years old um so he grew up most of his life in Australia mum was born in Oz but her parents were both born in in Calabria also southern Italy and um yeah I basically dad did a bit of racing growing up um and I think I just I loved it as a kid I I can vividly remember being at a racetrack you know in mum's arms when I was you know two years old the smell of race cars the noise I was just uh, in love with it. I was in love with all sports, but that something about racing really, I don't know, I just um, had a real passion and, and a love for it. And it was also different, you know, all the other kids. I was going to say, because it is quite different from anyone else in Perth. It's not a normal kind of career path, is it? No, no. no I mean, no one really had ever come out of Perth and done anything uh, on an international stage, you know, as far as racing went. And we had Australian Rules football, big sport, and, you know, we got cricket. Even don't talk about the cricket. Yeah, <laughs> we can touch on that later. Um, but yeah, I just I don't really know how it all happened. I just 
I wanted to do it because I loved it. Um, I played a bit of tennis and some other sports as a kid, but yeah, racing was... Um, I always say it was like a... For me, it was freedom. Like you get in a car, a go-kart at such a young age, you've got power in a way. You know, you're, you're alone in this cart and you've got this... The steering wheel, the accelerator, all this power within your control at you know nine years old when I started and um that's a dangerous thing so, for a nine-year-old it is but that's it creates like a, a freedom I guess mm. and you, you're whizzing around the track you, you know no one can touch you and it's like I don't know that that kind of feeling really got me and, and obviously you get adrenaline and all that from it but yeah it's pretty fun so when did you first realize that it could be a viable career for you because again you didn't really have anybody trailblazing that said, okay, Mark Webber, but he's not that much older than you, and that's just one guy out of many. You know, most people racing uh, in certainly Formula One have, have come from either South America or Europe, but particularly when you were growing up. Yeah, Mark Mark was actually a, a pretty big influence, um, even before I got to meet him and got to know him. Uh, just knowing that someone, I guess, kind of, yeah, in my generation uh, at least, had made the same kind of trip made the same kind of sacrifices to go to Europe and make it happen so he kind of even without me knowing him personally at the time he kind of created that path and I was like well if he can do it you know maybe I can do it too it's um, so nice thing so, like serendipity that you took his seat in 2014 at Red Bull like you couldn't have, couldn't yeah. have written that could you no that that was weird and, and that was like not it wasn't set up it wasn't um, you know it wasn't the plan for Red Bull to say right we're getting you know, one Australian's leaving, we're going to bring another. It wasn't like a marketing sketch or anything. It just it naturally happened that way. And, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty weird. But, um, yeah, so I guess going back a bit to answer part of your question, you know, when did I think I wanted to really do this or when did I think it was all going to happen? As much as I love racing growing up, I didn't really know if I could take it to that level. Mm. Um, you know, I was, I was having fun in go-karting. I was you know, winning some races around Australia, but I wasn't dominating the scene. I wasn't like the, the wonder boy. Um, and then I kind of, yeah, I was getting towards the end of school. Um, I was like, yeah, 15, 16 years old, and I wasn't really passionate about anything else. Um, and uh, there was still racing in my life, which I loved. And I, I think I just kind of hit a point where, yeah, like a little bit of a maturity step in my life. And I was like, all right, I think this is really what I want to do. So I kind of went all in. But um. I'd say, yeah, from 17, I went all in. But when I was 16, I was, yeah, I mean, I worked at a cafe on some weekends and I was kind of just still not really sure if, if that was going to be my real career path. I don't think many people know their career path as young as that. So I think you're doing well in that sense. But it's a big old step because you went and moved to Europe on your own. You went and lived in Italy as a teenager, not knowing anyone. Wasn't that a bit daunting? It was. Uh, I, you know, for a lot of reasons, I... Funnily enough, I mean, now I'm traveling, I'll do probably 100 flights a year, but I didn't like traveling. You know, I was very happy at home. I loved Perth. Uh, I had my, my friends there. And um, yeah, I kind of, the thought of living somewhere else already wasn't really um, that appealing to me, let alone living in a small Italian town with about a thousand people and the average age being about 96 years <laughs> old. Um, and not speaking Italian, like I had an Italian background and I learned a bit of Italian at school, but I couldn't speak Italian, you know, in the environment. Um, so it was all just, it was, I guess, a real big test for me as well. It would have shown if I really wanted it. And, um, yeah, I can't, I think I surprised myself. I got to Italy. My parents came with me um, for the first kind of 10 days just to help me set up, you know, the apartment. And then 
Um, yeah, I mean, there were some like lonely days and whatever, but the racing overcame all that kind of loneliness and I was I was much happier um, racing on the weekends and that was enough to kind of keep me keep me going and keep me motivated. So, yeah, certainly surprised myself and I think that year in particular, 2007, I I matured and I grew up a lot because yeah. I, was, I was a pretty young 17-year-old. I, I definitely wasn't... Um, older than my age if you know what I mean so how how were you different or similar to the the kids that you were at school with because they're obviously off going doing their own things around Perth like what were you like at school did you did you enjoy studying or was it just Absolutely about not. getting out and getting onto the race closest racetrack as soon as you could um I mean my favorite subject at school was lunchtime uh, <laughs> and sports you know I love being outdoors but um I think the te- one of the teachers called my my mum one day after uh, after class and she just she was quite concerned. She's like, you know, not not trying to offend you, but does your son have problems because he can't sit still? Like we want to know if there's something we should be aware of. Um, so I was just always like fidgeting and talking and just being a bit of a nuisance. Um, I wasn't like, I wasn't a terror or anything, but yeah, I just I couldn't really concentrate for long. So, um, in my research for this podcast, I did actually speak to your mum. Yeah. And um... Grace, lovely Grace, shout out. Good Mama old Bear. Grace. What a legend she is. Um, she actually said that you were quite a good boy at school, but that you did get suspended once. Yeah. <laughs> Can you share that story? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll share it. I mean, hell. Um, I guess, yeah, and everyone probably wants to hear some things they've never heard before. So um, it was actually my last year of school. And it kind of, it, in a way, it broke my mum's heart because I went through, you know, however many years of school you know with a pretty clean record and then uh the last year there was um yeah there was a, a student younger than me and um anyway all right so it was a younger girl and she would kind of I don't know why but we we kind of always teased each other and there was nothing going on as far as like we didn't like each other from from that point of view but um long story short so we would te- tease each other it went back and forth a bit just being little kids, you know, and then uh, one day I was eating lunch and she kind of knocked me, well, she did knock me, didn't kind of, and knocked my lunch out of my hand. And I was kind of like, oh, this has got a bit too far now. So um, obviously I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to retaliate in a, in a physical way. But um, I just, once everyone went uh, back to class after lunch, um, I had some like super glue. So I, uh, <laughs> I went up to a locker and I, I super glued a lock together. And I may have scratched something in on her locker, but uh, yeah. Oh, that's just mean! I yeah, just thought well, you were such a nice guy. Well, we were, as I said, I was a pretty young. Um, I didn't grow up for a while, so yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I got suspended for that, but it was one I of those think things where, <laughs> as naughty naughtiness goes, that's not too bad. Yeah, I kind of wrote something pretty rude, but anyways, oh, you did. Yeah, I think you right. probably fancied her. You no, only tease the ones you fancy. No, that's what, and people were saying that, and they're like, oh, she fancies you. I was like, no, 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 it's not that. It was just weird. I think we we're just young and immature. And I wonder whatever. what she's doing now. But I don't know, actually. You need um, to find out when you get back to Perth. Yeah, but it was one of those ones, like, you know, when you're at school and that, and so the principal came, and I knew straight away, like, in class, like, oh, can we get Daniel, please? And, you know, you get, like, the old innocent face, like, who, me? Like, what did I do? <laughs> so <laughs> I sat in the principal's office, he's like, you know why you're here, don't you? I was like, I got no idea, <laughs> no idea. He's like, Daniel, come on, don't be stupid. I was like, all right, You all signed right. it off DR at the end, so you kind of gave it away. So uh, I got three days off school for that, oh, which is nice. pretty sweet. So yeah. um, anyways, it was, it was, 
I guess it was something little, but... Um, Enough to hurt Grace's feelings. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know, I look back as a kid and, of course, I think we all look back when we were younger and, you know, we bullied at some point or we did things which, you know, for sure we're not that proud of. And um, I'm not, not that I'm saying that was extreme, but any, any form of bullying, mm. I think you understand it when you grow up. And I've got a little nephew now. I've got a lot of young little cousins and I'd hate, um, hate for them to kind of go through school you know, getting getting bullied and all that. So, um, yeah. I actually think um, as a mum, that's my biggest fear is one of my children getting bullied because it's just actually the most horrible thing, and it doesn't make any sense to them at the time, does it? Mm. They don't understand why it's happening, yeah. and as you say, retrospectively, you you kind of get that it's part of a a passage you go through maybe in life, part of growing up. But it's um, certainly at the time, my brother was horribly bullied at school, and it was awful for him. So, it can certainly, um, yeah, it can have some. <clears throat> some negative effects so yeah like one day a, a kid just somehow I don't know where he got a golf ball from but he, he I was like in my locker and I just felt this massive thing on my back and he threw this golf ball at my back for no reason he was just a couple years older and he was just like a school bully and he like pegged this golf ball at my back what did you do? I had nothing well I couldn't because he was like he was kind of a bad kid I was like you just oh. had to suck it up I'm just like alright I'm just gonna pretend that didn't hurt <laughs> and you were like wincing with yeah. eyes watering God. but that, that's just kids and yeah. you know you only kind of see it when you're older but it's uh, hard isn't it anyways so, if if that girl is listening and I, I feel really bad I don't remember her name but I apologise for super gluing your locks together <laughs> at least you didn't super glue her hair yeah it's alright what's it like going back to Perth now does it sort of feel because I've, I've only been to Perth once but it's quite small isn't it it's quite a small place does it feel quite claustrophobic when you go back now or is it just that lovely sort of calm feeling of going home it's got both to be honest I, I get I get both when I'm home like I get days where I love it and it's it's the Perth you know I grew up in and, and remember um, but I also get that kind of small city syndrome where yeah it's um it's a like it's a great city and I'll you know I'll always spend time there whether I live there full time or not you know once my career's done um, but yeah everyone kind of knows everyone and people talk that, that kind of thing mm. um I think as well, Australia's so detached from the rest of the world. And then you get Perth. It's like one of the most isolated cities in the world. It's it's It kind of brews this um, this hub for gossip. And oh. uh, yeah, so I'm not like, that's that's just a little bit of a thing I've noticed coming back over the years. Um, people like to talk, but otherwise, um, great weather, beautiful city. I love it. I've got, you know, friends I grew up with there and um, it'll always be home to me. And I think I'll always spend a chunk of my, my year there at some point. I remember that there was freshwater river going behind the house we were staying in and the sea in front of the house, and that yeah. blew my tiny Northamptonshire mind because <laughs> that pretty. was incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty as hell. Like the um, yeah, we got Kings Park, then the beautiful um, river, the Swan River, and it's like and you got the ocean just behind it. Um, yeah, it is awesome. And the last kind of three years, I'd say, it's really developed you know as far as nightlife goes and restaurants it's it's really becoming a lot more um there's a bit more culture mm. i guess world culture in it and uh it's nice mma you love mma yeah specifically the ufc mm-hmm. now mixed martial arts for yeah. uh, anyone who's living under a rock yep um <laughs> i'm not a fan i have to say yeah we've tried to convince you you're not really buying it either. okay but i i want to know why is it a misunderstood sport tell me why you love it I think it's easy to be misunderstood because, yeah, it is the first thing you see normally is or you'll associate it with violence or blood or, 
you know, I, I, I kind of don't like when you hear, but like all oh, their street thugs and they're just in a cage and they're kind of barbaric or whatever. But um, there's certainly a lot more underneath it. And, and sure, it is it is a pretty, you know, violent sport. It can be, but there's that's not the core of it. The core is it is a it is a martial art. You know, it's 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 a combination of pretty much every martial art and, and combat sport under the sun put into one. And um, and I love how you can get specialists. You can get, you know, a, a, an Olympic wrestler, you know, against a, a Golden Gloves boxer, and and you get these guys with these strengths, and it makes these amazing uh, matchups. Um, but for me as well, so I, I find that fascinating. But you know, it, I'm kind of contradicted with the sport I do, but I love pure competition you know and and head-to-head competition and for me there's no sport which is more pure and raw than mma you know it's it's there's no one else involved it's uh it's as pure and physical as as anything can get and and i love it and it's it's a it's a mental game it's physical it's uh it's heart it's will um it's it's really beautiful once you see past the the kind of the big knockouts and all that it's it's really quite fascinating i guess because it used to be called cage fighting that's kind of got it's got quite a grubby image or at least that's what it used to be yep. it's had a massive overhaul there's no doubt sure a um, big part of that overhaul i believe was the flushing out of peds and yep. uh that was obviously a really important step to get rid of performance enhancing drugs because i believe that they were something of an epidemic of it in the sport can you just talk me through that yeah it's um you know they've cleaned it up a lot they've had uh yeah usada come in um I'm, i don't want to be let's say the last couple years let's just be general i don't know exactly how long they've been in but uh it's one of those ones where it was a big thing in the sport with you know performance enhancing drugs because it's you know you 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 it is a sport which is extremely dangerous and if someone is you know gaining strength from taking peds then you know a knockout blow can be more than a knockout blow um, if you know what I mean, and you can be playing with someone's life. So different with, you know, like, I'm not saying it's still right, but baseball is an example. Baseball, okay, a guy hits hits a ball an extra 20 yards. You know, mm. that's that's what the um, the PEDs will do for him. But in, in MMA, if it's putting a bit more power behind your punch, you know, you're, you're kind of playing with someone's life. So it was very important they clean that up. And I think, uh, I think the sport gained a lot of uh, outside respect from that. Mm. And I guess for big sponsors to come in and endorse the sport, back it and grow it to where it is now, it needed that massive clean-up as well. Has it lost anything from PEDs being flushed out? Like, is there any entertainment lost in it? Um, in I'm my, not saying condoning it, yeah. it for one minute, no, but in, I just wanted to know what the spectacle's like before and after. Is it any different? In, in my opinion, no. Um, I think you will get some guys... Um, and, you know, they kind of joke a bit as well. They're like, oh we should just let them all go and um, what do they say like juice them to the gills and all that and and go for it but I you know at the end of the day I don't think it's it's lost any of its appeal um, I think the the top guys are still amazing and uh, yeah because there's this ridiculous image of is it Victor Belfort is that how you say uh, v- it Vito Belfort Vito, Vito yeah. Belfort before and after yeah when he was on PEDs and afterwards I mean he just was like a different person yeah I mean from as far as a a visual goes, yeah, he was he was jacked. Like he was one of the most recognised guys for for you know being on the PDs and that. And um, sure, he it's fair to say that he wasn't the same fighter after that. But you know, 
what the do sport you do? was better off for it. Yeah. yeah, you need to Google that if anyone listening wants to just see the stark contrast. Yeah. So how do you spell his name? Vitor, Vitor, Vitor V-I-T-O-R. And then Belfort, B-E-L-F-O-R-T, Brazilian. Yeah, before and after. Yeah. What about um, drug testing in F1? Because actually I've... You guys sometimes get taken off. Like, we don't get to interview you as quickly. We're kind of like, where's Daniel gone? Yeah. And then we hear that you're you're being tested. But I'm kind of wondering, like, what's that process like? Do you just, is it sporadic? They just jump on you at any race at any time? or And what drugs, if any, would enhance a driver's performance? Would it be beta blockers or something? Like, what are they looking for? Yeah, it's like well, I got tested the last race of the season. Uh, in Abu Dhabi after qualifying I, I did all my media and then a guy oh it's because you had a good quali they were like he's been crapping <laughs> yeah. quali all year <laughs> then he pulls thanks. out the back <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> yeah the quali wasn't that good this year but I, I pulled one out the last race just to <laughs> remind people I still got it still got it um, yeah so they it's random but they, they can pull you aside whenever so we're with uh, WADA the World oh, yeah. Anti-Doping Agency mm-hmm. um, as opposed to USADA which mm-hmm. is you know what's covering the, the UFC um, but yeah, I think I think I got that right. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I've never taken anything. Um, I don't know enough about PEDS to to know what would help. You know, I think physically, like if we were taking, let's say, let's be general and say we were taking steroids, I don't know how that would help us well, drive a Formula One for car. A start, wouldn't yeah. it? That would be rubbish. <laughs> exactly. So the only thing I could think of is something to enhance concentration, right? You know, and to keep you kind of more stimulated slash switched on for Mm. for the duration of the race um but yeah i again i i don't i think having it in mma is much more significant than Mm. having it in in Mm. racing but i like that they got it you know it's nice to know that it's fair regardless yeah absolutely talking of uh what you put in your body food is um (laughs) now what would you say would you say you're passionate obsessed or neurotic or all three about food what does neurotic mean? <laughs> you, you are it. Because, again, talking to lovely Grace Ricardo, she says ever since you were very young, you've been very aware of what you put into your body, the combinations mm-hmm. of food that you put into your body. Yeah. You're still, I mean, it's great because you have to be in Formula One, um, massively aware of, of what you're absorbing and because um, of obviously weight in yeah. Formula One's a it's big deal. It's a very deal. lightweight sport. Yeah. Um, but also for health reasons, you've got pretty strong views on obesity as well haven't you yeah um i think i i don't know why i guess i'm in a way kind of passionate about it i don't know much i mean when i say i'm I'm sure i know a bit more than the kind of average uh average joe there you go shout out to my dad average joe (laughs) um but uh yeah i so i'll i don't want to oh how was that water? It's nice. I could hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Just rehydrating. <laughs> mm. um, Lovely. So where were we? Yeah. So look, I don't follow. I'm not going to say I'm like the poster boy for good nutrition, but mm-hmm. I, I am aware of what I'm putting in and what it will do to me. So I don't always follow, you know, a, a set diet. But, but you read I do the back know, of a packet. Yeah, absolutely. You'll understand the content that's going into each food. Yeah, and I'm constantly learning, and I'm, I love hearing. You know, I'll listen to other podcasts about nutrition and, and new kind of revelations and, and all this. And um, I, I feel I'm pretty aware of what what works and what doesn't and for, you know, particular sports. So come race week and all that, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty strict. Um, but for sure, sometimes I love, you know, binging on, on something which is fun and enjoyable. Um, so what do you eat and what don't you eat? Um, I've definitely... So the last... Probably the last 18 months... 
um, I've a, I've taken on a more I don't want to say I've gone full keto, but a more ketogenic style diet where I'm, um, or I'm trying to. I, I had a sweet tooth growing up a lot, mm. you know. So I, I was always, I always felt sugar was a bit of a, a risk for me, um, you know, sugar levels and all that. And uh, when I heard about more of a ketogenic diet, I was like, well, this could be great, you know. I can, it might be a really good way to minimize my sugars. Just um, explain what it is. Well, okay, I, I don't want to sound like I know everything here, but basically, it's more of a high fat diet. And I mean, generally, at least what I've been doing is trying to replace carbs for fats. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of where you get more of a, professionals are gonna listen to this and be like, this kid's an idiot. But uh, it's, it's trying to get more of a like sustainable energy along the course of the day. You know, a lot of carbs slash sugars and all that, you know, you get spikes in insulin and you get highs and lows. Um, and then, uh, yeah, basically, um, you know, having these these kind of high fat diets, it's actually it gives you more constant. Why, at least I feel, and this is kind of the general consensus, I think you get more constant energy throughout the day. Mm. And um, yeah, it's I've I've basically felt because people are always like low fat diet, all this kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, I think it's it's certainly I think we've moved on from that. And what is that? Um, is that the answer for you specifically, or do you think generally that should be adopted? Because Again, I've never, I've never kind of really investigated this as such, but I would always shy away from fatty foods. Yeah, I think that's just everyone, you know, you grow up, it's like fat's bad for you yeah. and, and you're going to get fat eating fatty foods. But yeah. um, if anything, so I've, I've followed it more precisely this year mm-hmm. and um, it's been the easiest year for me to actually keep weight off really? by having more fats. Yeah. Okay, so tell us what you'd eat. Um, so I've, I've increased a lot of, so I've kind of minimised carbs so i'll try and you know not have as much pasta or bread or whatever i was never crazy on it but um strange for an italian kid yeah i know i grew up with a lot of it maybe that's why i don't like Um. it much now i'm sick of it but uh and yeah so i'll end up having as opposed to having eggs and toast with breakfast you know i'm having eggs and avocado and some bacon or some i don't know some seeds or i don't know something to replace the bread but still have good substance so you're still getting your calories and you still get filled up by it but um, and I feel it lasts longer. Like I don't get hungry um, as hungry, and I can do like so. There's also like intermittent fasting. I think that's the word intermittent. However you say it, I'm trying to sound like I know everything here. Sound very clever. Um, so you can gen- uh, waking up in the morning. Like you, I'd always wake up, go for breakfast. Yeah. And I'd go straight for cereal or something, and then an hour later I'd be hungry again. So by nine o'clock I've already had nearly two meals, and now I'll have. Um, I can go like till 11 a.m., have nothing, and then have you know one one meal with some good fats and whatever, and that will last me till. But how can waiting know. for breakfast be a good thing? I'm always starving I, when I first wake up. Yeah, I think it's. I was always the same, but I actually just think it's habit, and really? it's kind of your your mind is used to it. So you wake up, you're like, oh, I'm gonna go straight to the kitchen. Right. And if you actually kind of tell yourself as well, don't do that and get busy, do other things, or go do some exercise or something, you actually realize that you're not you're actually not waking up hungry. Okay. It's just kind of habit and what you're used to. That's what I've found, personally. Do you think, as a vegetarian, I could do your diet? Um, I'm going to say... Actually, no, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's one thing I found with veg- um, vegans and vegetarians yeah. and all that. Seems to be hard to get away from carbohydrates with those diets. Yeah, yeah. Isn't Lewis, uh, Lewis Hamilton a vegan at the moment? I heard he was testing it out a bit yeah. i know he kind of made a point 
that he was testing. I don't know if he's still going with it, continued. Um. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. He's so a, producer okay. Jamie's telling me that he is a vegan and he feels in the best shape ever. Because, mm. I mean, I did. I was vegan for 20 years and now I'm just vego. Well, I'm actually a pescatarian. But, um, I'm Shantae. No, I'm Shantae. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds I, a bit poncy, doesn't it? But I eat fish. Um, just because I found my diet was so limited and so boring and I actually felt a little bit weak being a vegan. But then again, that was a while ago now and maybe in today's current climate, well, I guess Lewis has got access to all the best chefs so he, they can create amazing vegan feasts for him. But I'd be really surprised that you can keep the energy levels up, particularly, you know, 70 laps of a Grand Prix, having not had any kind of protein. But, you know, this is where I want to be educated. Yeah. Um, look, I... Sounds like you're doing something very different, though, to yeah, Lewis. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, that, yeah, I guess so. Obviously, I'm still having, you know, good bit of meats and whatever, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I probably, I won't get too much into it because I, again, I don't know really No, but you much. can tell us what I, I guess you do and if it works yeah, for you, absolutely. then that's great. 100% like cutting out carbs um, or minimizing them drastically and then replacing them for fats has had no downside on me, my, my feelings, my energy, my weight. Weight's been, you know, really, really uh, evident with that. And uh, certainly... I've just eaten less during the day and, and realised that you don't need as much. Mm. Um, so it's it's cut down my sugar. I've had no downsides from it at I all. I mean, sugar's got to be a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I think we're kind of united in that one. Yeah. Sugar is the devil. Yes. Um, and I, it tastes great and I'll still binge. I'll mm. still have, you know, days where I'm eating like crap and, and loving it. But uh, what was your there weakness, is no, then? there's no real... Strength from sugar. Um, weakness. Um, On your oh, last supper. At, so I was you? at um, the the last race. There was a cheesecake factory oh. um, near the venue, and if anyone has been to the cheesecake factory before, like the franchise, 
I don't really like cheesecake, but their cheesecake is not really cheesecake. It's it's just cake and uh, like Oreo, Oreo dream oh. cheesecake. It's devilishly delicious, <laughs> but I do feel like a piece afterwards. Yeah. And when I say a piece, not an extra piece, I mean a piece of whatever. So, um, yeah, I think now as well, is that I, w- I still will eat sugar and crap, you know, when I feel like it, but I do feel the effect of it now. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. And I don't seem to eat as much. Like I would be able to eat a whole tub of ice cream before. And now I'm like, I'll get to half a tub and I'm like, I'm done. And I feel like a piece. <laughs> I might have done half a tub of ice cream last night. <laughs> oh. You just get in the mood, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Salted it's, caramel. And, oh. and it's good. It's good to, I think, have those binges because it also, sure, it makes you feel good at the time, but it also then makes you realise that it's not the way to go. Like, always after it, you feel like crap, don't you? So mm. you're like, all right, I remember what that feeling's like and I want to be better than that. Now, Daniel, I ask a uh, series of questions to all my guests. And uh, the first one is, um, what do you believe so far in your life? And obviously you're still very young. But what do you believe has been the defining moment in your life so far? One kind of key moment that perhaps changed the course of things. That is a, it's a really good question. Um, it's kind of deep, but I like it. I like it. Um, I don't know. There, it was certainly something when I was like 17, 18, and I kind of, as I said, I just kind of clicked and I took a step in maturity, basically. And, and I turned from a, I guess, a kid to a young man. And um, I just kind of changed. And I, I then had real drive and a real vision and discipline. Discipline. And, and, you know, that year when I moved to Italy, the first year, that was a make or break because it, it's not cheap. And, um, you know, parents and some family friends could help finance that first year but I really needed to make that work and um, I was living in another country I mean I was young I could have been out drinking and partying every night and at that age it's new to you and that's one of the things you want to do more than anything Um, but I was just I don't know I just kind of knew that that wasn't the way and all those things would come afterwards and uh, I'd, I'd also met some other kids who I could see were kind of getting you know crossed down that path and it didn't sit well with me and um yeah so there was i would say just a, there was a switch where i i literally just grew up and and saw a the more adult perspective um, did did one thing happen to trigger that was there a catalyst was there a single defining moment probably probably moving away from home mm. and having some lonely nights and understanding that it was a sacrifice and that i was missing out on you know friends 18th birthdays and just just being with people being with people i, I loved so that I was kind of like, well, I need to make this work because if I go home with nothing, this has all been a waste. You know, mm. I'm in a waste a year of my life. And um, so that was a real big incentive for me to make it work. Now, the other question that I ask all my guests is uh, what advice would you give to your younger self? Do everything the same. <laughs> really? That's great. Um, yeah, I at least from from the career point of view, I have no regrets with the path I chose and and how I've gone about it. Um, I think yeah, as a a younger self, you know, pre pre career, um, yeah, as a kid, I think you just need to go through, you know, all these uh, learning experiences and sure, as we touched on, you know, I look back and, you know, you do some things as a kid which yeah, that was stupid or I was an idiot or I was so immature or can't believe that used to be me. Um, 
but I feel like you kind of have to make these call them mistakes to to learn and to grow. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I wouldn't really say anything different. I think the primary purpose of why I've always done this is because of the love, the passion for it. So I think that's um, as long as that is the real reason, you know, and I would say to other kids chasing their dream, whether it's racing or, you know, any other type of sport or profession, make sure it's your dream, not your parents' dream or not something they're hanging on to. Good advice. So basically, have strength in your convictions. That's what you'd say to your younger self. Just keep believing. Enchanté. I love it. Don't stop. Believing. Which brings me nicely, actually. Nice segue into your other passion, which is music. Yeah. But what? Unfortunately, I can't sing that. Don't let that get in the way of anything. It's quite amazing, actually, your cross section of tastes. You've got a really diverse sort of love of music, haven't you? I do. Talk Uh, me through that. Yeah. um, I don't know. It's. I guess I was just passionate as a kid. You know, I loved music. I loved, for me, especially now as I get older and as I've traveled to so many places and had so many, you know, different experiences in life, music is like a photo album. You know, you hear a song and it takes you back to a place you were or a moment and that that gives me goosebumps. I I love that. Um, As a kid, I remember driving around, you know, on weekends I'd kind of spend it with dad. He'd go to work and... um, you know, one of the albums he had in his car kind of on repeat was Bob Dylan. So, like, Mr. Tambourine Man, um, that was one of my favourite songs. And, you know, as I look back on my childhood and I think of Mr. Tambourine Man and I can picture, you know, sitting alongside Dad in his work ute, you know, a ute. Do you call it? No, you don't call them utes. Utes like a little truck. Yeah. A little work truck. And, uh, yeah, and uh, so, yeah, things like that. But, I yeah, like, so Bob Dylan... Um, grew up, you know, loving him, but I, I love everything hip hop. I love hardcore, um, like hardcore kind of metal. I love folk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing, you know. And you hear a song, and it's got soul, it's got passion, and the lyrics, everything. It can, it can be very motivating and kind of, um, yes, yeah, somewhat spiritual. Let's say. Mm. I, you've already answered my next question, which again I ask all the guests on the podcast is the one song that reminds them most of their childhood and this is all part of a campaign that we've done for Hope and Homes for Children because too many children grow up in institutions deprived of music, love, interaction and what we're trying to do is end their silence so the campaign is called End the Silence and we talk about the one song that takes you back to a moment and I think it's quite incredible like just hearing you recount about you and Joe in the ute with Bob Dylan playing it's amazing how music can just take you to that time. It gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? There's yeah. nothing quite like music for achieving that. So um, that's lovely. And What's yours? Oh, mine is um, Roy Orbison. Oh, I like Roy Orbison. See, my dad loves Roy Orbison. And as a kid, I, I've never slept well. And um, my dad used to sit on the edge of my bed and sing In Dreams by Roy Orbison. Actually, if you listen to the lyrics, it's quite a sad song. But for me, it represents warmth and security and safety because it's my dad singing it to me and hugging me and me falling asleep in his arms. And so if ever I hear it now, I just get all those emotions back. Yeah. You know, like 35 years on, I, I well up with that song. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, it sets a trigger off and... That's the thing, you'll never forget it. Like, that song will be there for as, as long as you mm. live. And um, music's, music's beautiful. And, and beyond that, seeing a band or musician perform live is it's an experience within itself. And um, especially now for, 
the way my life is and how busy it is to have an escape like that and to go and see someone be in their element and perform and uh yeah that's that's one of my favorite things to do in my in my kind of free time because you went to see mumford and sons recently didn't you before yeah. the grand prix was yeah. it just before or just after the grand prix uh, it was the night before the race oh yeah. wow yeah so um and, you know, and then so, you know some people will be like oh shouldn't he be in bed you know and resting and but you know what you can get you can also take so many positives from something like that so i know for me that night seeing them perform and all that i got so much more energy and and yeah um kind of happiness than i would have you know been if i was asleep in my hotel room at, at you know 9 p.m so uh it was amazing amazing mm. and um fortunately got to got to meet them afterwards so that that was the, the nicest thing was it's not just meeting them but it's you know when you meet people i guess you look up to or you admire that they're also when they're normal i guess you know when they're still on planet earth yeah you know it, it's it makes the experience so much better and um, yeah, awesome, awesome, uh, awesome group of people, awesome band. I, I really enjoyed it. Because they've done so well to almost reinvent themselves that their new album is just mind-blowing. I just love their sound. It's yeah. brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Uh, Do they play all their new stuff as well as the old? Yeah, a bit of everything. Brilliant. Um, it was, yeah, it was amazing. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's a completely different genre to some of the other. Mm. You know, I was on stage uh, last year with Parkway Drive, who's oh, yeah. a you know massive hardcore Australian band. And I was, you know, like vomiting into a microphone, basically. Nice. And uh, that was, uh, but yeah, I just, music definitely hits a, hits a switch yeah. for me. So what about when you're um, walking down the pit lane, about to get in the car, about to race, you've got the headphones on. Half the time, I think it's to avoid me asking you a question, possibly. <laughs> but are you listening to anything? I am. I am. It's, it, it is a good way to get, you know, to escape um you know, people bugging you as well, for sure. <laughs> me, Daniel, can I just Pinkham. ask how you feel? <laughs> Natalie, I, I, I love it when they can see you got headphones yeah. on and it's like they'll talk to you just normal, as if you're literally listening to nothing. They're like, hey, it's like, I can't hear you. Like, what is what is it these headphones telling you that makes, me th makes you think you can hear me? Fernando Alonso <laughs> does it through the paddock on his mobile phone. So uh, he'll pick up his phone and fake call. Fake call. Yeah, I do that sometimes, yeah. but not really in the paddock. More if, um, oh yeah, sometimes in the paddock, I guess. <laughs> well, otherwise it's really hard to get through the paddock without people stopping and talking to you. It, um, and now with like the, you know, camera phones and all this, I, I'm not really a fan of, uh, yeah, I, I want to say technology, but a lot of stuff like camera phones will be the death of me, I reckon. They're just... I Come on, you love it. You're great no, on there, social media. Some, no, there is some, some positives, absolutely. But as far as access and I don't know, I've just I've noticed a lot. And this is me, you know, I'm, I want to say I'm an extremely small scale to a lot of other athletes or musicians in the world. So this is I can't imagine what it's like for other people. But I feel like the, the camera phone and this, I hate the word, but the selfie and I've taken selfies, so I'm not trying to. But an, a bad experience, I guess, is people will come up to you as if you're a product, I mm. guess, and literally walk up, take the photo and walk away. And there's no... No interaction. No interaction. No, please, thank you. Nice to meet you. It's just literally for that. And yeah, it has created some form of, yeah, just there's there's less human interaction now I don't with that. think I've ever heard you talk negatively about anything in the world ever <laughs> so there is a side of Daniel Ricardo that isn't all beaming smiles 
Yeah, I mean, it's... So it does bug you. Selfies, like, people just ploughing straight in. But that, isn't that when... just manners? That's just manners, Yeah, isn't I it? think it's just manners, but it's... Um, I kind of feel like people feel that... And when I'm just generalising, it's not everyone. It's a very small percentage at the moment, but I feel it might grow. But, uh, yeah, it kind of... There's a right where they, oh, just selfie and mm-hmm. I'll just interrupt. And there's been times where I'm talking with people and they've literally walked through the person I'm wow. talking to and yeah. just, they're not existent and they're just come and take yeah. it and, yeah but um anyway phones are ubiquitous now it's you know as you say it feels like it's a god-given right but that was actually i was going to ask you about fame because you know when we first met you were racing at hrt you Hormone had replacement therapy yeah <laughs> <laughs> hispania racing team it was <laughs> it was and yeah it's no longer no longer around but you had these glorious train, train tracks, tracks. yeah seriously boofy hair yeah. I mean, still devilishly handsome, obviously, mm. but... I was a nine. I'm, I'm, You know, I've obviously bummed up to a ten now, but, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite a ten back then. <laughs> but, you know, you could walk through a shopping centre without being recognised, for sure, and you can't do that now. Um, uh, the downsides of that you've touched on. Um, how has life changed for you? I will say that, and it's 100%, it's not all downsides, and it's, it's actually a very small percentage of downsides. Mm. So, like, if someone comes up to me call it a shopping centre and it's not all the time not at all but if someone comes up and they're like beaming and damn I'm you know a big fan I love what you do you're great you you inspire me to be a funnier person or whatever I love that like that's great who wouldn't love that so that's it's um (laughs) that's amazing fanning of your ego of course you'd love it so it's uh no there's a lot of positive stuff as well and and I, I feel like everyone's most people have been very positive around me but um yeah I think it's more just yeah personal space and probably just more time Mm. that's the biggest thing with uh, I don't want to say I'm famous but the biggest thing with being a bit recognised in some places is that you you do get a bit deprived of your own space and time So where are you most recognised and where are you anonymous? Um, Australia I guess most recognised and more Perth Mm. Um, I guess Perth is small Uh, and then anonymous yeah, probably America. I mean, out of places I travel, I spend a bit of time in America and mm. that's fairly anonymous for me. So, um, And I kind of feel America's got so much going on. There's so many other sports, mm. there's so many Hollywood stars, you know. So even if I was an F1 world champion, yeah. I'm still kind of nothing for, for their scale of things. Now, I know we haven't really talked much about F1, but you, you mentioned it then, F1 world champion. Do you still, um, I'm sure you hope, do you expect to be a world champion? I do. Um, I expect is okay. I, I don't like the word expectations though, but um, I expect it from myself, you know, from what I believe I can do mm. and from what I've learned over the years, I, I expect I can deliver that. Um, but yeah, with this sport, you need the tools as well. Mm. I hope to get those tools, mm. but I don't want to say I expect it. Um, but yeah, if I got those tools, then I would expect it out of myself to, to get the job done. Do you believe you're the quickest driver on the current grid? I do believe so, yeah. And playing devil's advocate here, with the Renault oh, engine oh, in sorry. the Red Bull car, Yeah. how are you going to win a world championship as a customer team of the Renault engine? Regulation changes in 2021 are still some time away. Mm-hmm. Um, three years to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> Good maths. But... It would stand to reason that the Renault team would get the best effects of a Renault engine. So what assurances can Red Bull give you or do you have to move team in order to be a world champion? As, as far as the engine stuff goes, you know, I've been 
I guess, assured and told that there's no clauses in the Red Bull Renault contract. Um, as far as, you know, we get the most updated equal equipment. You know, I think Mercedes have a different deal with their customers. Mm. I think they get... But it wouldn't look good for or, Renault if Red Bull won the world championship because kinda, they're the manufacturer team. Yeah, I kind of feel like Renault would take a world title in, in any way they could, okay. you know, especially with Mercedes dominance over the last four years. So um, I would feel it would be them you know better winning than not winning mm-hmm. you know with us but um yeah i want to go back sorry just two steps because mm-hmm. if people if f1 fans are listening and i when i said I, I believe i'm the quickest on the grid they're like well max out qualified you this year mm. um so i'll address that because uh, he did um my teammate max verstappen and um so people say well he proved he was quicker because he out qualified you and qualifying is when you get one lap to really put it put it together um so i will say that he did very very well this year in qualifying um and he did out qualify me so they're they're facts um but i believe that i didn't perform to my potential often enough and um that's something which you know there's a few things which i i want to get more out of myself mm-hmm. but um i guess there's places like abu dhabi the last race of the year where i felt like sometimes you cross the line after a lap and you just know you're like that was a good lap mm. and it's like i i really 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 doubt that's going to be beaten you know, by let's say by your teammate. Mm. So um, I think when I still get those feelings, um, you know, I don't think I can be beat on, on one lap. So You're sort of hitting the yeah. sweet spot with sweet a tennis spot, rocket. Yeah. yeah. But it's not, and then again, you know, it's not good enough doing it a few times mm. a year. So, and, and as I said, for me, I wasn't that happy with my year on Saturdays, you know, qualifying. I couldn't do it as often. So, as, so as what was the problem? Um, I think, look, it started... In the past, like Saturday's always been a real strength of mine. I was kind of known even before the mm. Sundays, like the racing, everyone was like, oh, this kid can qualify really well. So mm. he's fast, but he's actually a bit, sometimes a bit soft on a Sunday. Um, this is going back probably more a few years, but uh, it's kind of reversed now. And the Sunday I'm kind of known for being the, the aggressive um, racer. Um, but yeah, this year the qualifying, I think, the, so the car's changed and uh, in a way, uh, I'd say two things. I kind of got stuck maybe a little bit in, in old ways or things I was comfortable with, which didn't quite work for this year's car. Um, so in a way, yeah, get a bit comfortable. Um, and then uh, I'm also very, well, I have been very sensitive with, with setup and feeling in the car. And it's been a strength of mine where you can feel little things and be like, okay, we need to address that. Um, but sometimes it was a detriment or downside because... I'd be kind of hypersensitive and, in, you know, I'd be like trying to fix it too much as opposed to being just get on with it and drive and this is what it is. It's not going to be perfect. Deal with it. Um, so sometimes I would create a bit more, I'd probably overanalyze the situation. Mm. And I think that would take something away from, from my driving. So, yeah, um, I certainly learn a lot and, look, I'll try and prove what I've learned next year. But, uh, yeah, so, I still I still got a lot of belief and confidence. So you put together your race craft with the quality that you know you can produce, as you did in Abu Dhabi, you still got to have that the hardware, you still got to have the car. Do you believe, truly believe, that Red Bull is your the right car to deliver a world championship? And even if it is, you've still got Max Verstappen, the sort mm-hmm. of potential thorn in your side, to achieve that, because if you're both in a position to win a world championship, we've seen it, you know, with Nico and Lewis, we've seen it with Mark and Seb, that's when things can start getting tricky. Do you think that moving teams might be the key to you taking that uh, inaugural I world championship that, title? 
your inaugural. I, 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 hear, I hear you. I think next year will be a big, big thing for that. Um, you know, I've got another year with the contract uh, with Red Bull, so um, we'll see where I end up. I, I think it's hard to say. Obviously, Max, I think what, what showed this year, and I think with both of us, myself and Max, is if one of us is having a, an off day or a bad day, mm. then we're getting beat. So it's it's for sure if I'm having, you know, days which I'm not performing, I will get beat by him. Mm. And I think, you know, the contrary. Um, and with the team, yeah, uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see next year. For sure we're still, you know, pushing a bit uphill. Um, I think Mercedes have the foundations laid out for them very well. Mm. They've got a good car and the engine's not only bulletproof but very fast. Mm. So we got work to do. Um, so I don't want to say we do have the best package right now, but, yeah, I'm definitely here for another, you know, the 2018 season, so I've got to try and make it work. It's funny, isn't it? Because actually all through the year, you'd have a great weekend and Max would have a rubbish one and then it would flip across. Yeah. But reliability-wise, I mean, how does that even make sense? One car always seemed to DNF. Yeah, we had... So the start of the year... I mean, I had a couple before the first first half of the season, a couple of DNFs, but... Australia, uh, first yeah, race of the year. That was grisly. Yeah. Yeah, of all so places. so good to put a good one in in front of your home crowd, wouldn't it? I did once, but we got disqualified. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, yes. So... Anyways, but um, yeah, then like, so it seemed like Max had a lot of the reliability stuff early mm. in the season, and then I had, you know, all at the end, I, you know, didn't finish the last three out of four races, so it's just one of those sports, it, it's going to come and go, and there's no real method behind the madness, if that mm. makes sense, it mm. just, when it happens, it happens, and you kind of got to suck it up, but uh, yeah, I think, look, if, if, if it was all just to go tits up, then I'll just take up MMA and punch some people's faces in. <laughs> Bet you feel like choke, doing that. Choke now. some cats out. <laughs> yeah. But you get on well with Max, don't you? I mean, you seem to get on well. You seem to be like the marketing man's dream at Red Bull. Yeah, I think they, you know, the team and that, I think they like what, what they've got with us. And um, yeah, as, as far as teammates go, we do get on pretty well, mm. you know. And we, I really believe we're the most determined slash aggressive drivers on mm. the grid. You know, I think like the our will to win is bigger than anyone else's. Um, and I think I'm just saying that because it also shows in our racing. You know, I think all the highlighting, uh, all the overtaking highlights of the year and last year, it's mainly me and Max. So um, for for how much kind of fire we've got with it within us, I think we do very well to manage mm -hmm. the, the situation. And what about other mates up and down the grid? You, you're old pals with Brendan Hartley. It must be nice to see him there. Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because Brendan is, um, he is the example of the word persistence. I think uh, he's really like if anyone doesn't know Brendan, uh, start learning about him. But I'll, I'll try and I'll try and give you a little bit of an, an insight. So, yeah, he's from New Zealand, a tiny town in New Zealand, I think Palmerston North. And um, you know he didn't come from money, didn't come from anything, you know, as far as to help him get to where he was. And uh, he he had a lot of talent as a young kid. He moved to Europe earlier than I did. I think he was even maybe fifteen when he moved to Europe. So super young, got signed up with Red Bull at a really young age. He won some junior championships, but then it all happened a bit too quickly for him, I think. And he was kind of there when he was just too young to deal with it. And uh, and he kind of let the pressure and he, he was kind of his own worst enemy, I guess. Um, but only because he was just young and, and not kind of, I guess, mature for it um, or prepared for it. So then Red Bull dropped him and like you get dropped at, I don't know how old he would have been, 19 or something, maybe. Like, you get dropped at that age, it's like, what do you do? Like, you can take everything out of your sails. 
and uh he got to a point where he was racing like historic cars vintage cars on, on a weekend he would go down to brands hatch and race like a, a mini cooper s an old mini and just anything to race you know so he was super passionate about racing and at that stage it was just to race and, and just stay stay driving um and he somehow just found his way back he just kept persisting making calls flying to america flying around europe and ended up getting this this le mans drive with with red bull um sorry not with red bull with porsche when porsche came back they won two out of three championships and then basically red bull um he called up uh helmet marco kind of the uh the big chief advisor of, of red bull racing and, and that and um he's just like hey you know I've, I've i've grown i've learned a lot since uh since you dropped me back then and uh just basically i hope you haven't forgotten about me because if you ever want me to come back i'm here wow and uh it was something along the lines of that he, he told me and uh basically like oh what the hell have a go in the simulator and he was good and and now he's back in f1 and that is awesome it's pretty cool like i think for him and and for red bull as well it's a great story you know they they dropped him he came back from nothing and got back there and so it's a real good story for everyone but i mean i would have bet everything and brendan would have as well that this never would have happened and he joked he actually joked to me um well, probably in like september of uh, of 2017 and he was like oh imagine imagine helmet you know said oh come and come and race again or something and literally like two months later he was racing and it was just it's crazy you know and yeah he comes he really doesn't come from much at all like he is just a working class man old brendan very happy for him what a great example for um for kids out there particularly people that told you know it's not going to work out so yeah. perhaps he was just it just wasn't in the right place at the right time initially and then he went away and learned and you know yeah. proved that it's never too late and you know hopefully maybe the same can be said for a comeback for robert kibitzer you know there's some awesome stories up and down the grid at the moment isn't there yeah absolutely do you there's think a- um do you think that there are there are common traits between the drivers you know i know that you probably don't socialize with that many of the f1 drivers because you've got your own pals away from racing or, or in, in racing but do you think there is something that you know kind of bonds you and binds you together there is um when i first got into f1 i i kind of refused to think it or believe it because i was like it's a you know dog eat dog world we all want to be the best and you know I'd, you can't have friends because um essentially we're all fighting for the same thing so I was, um, yeah, I just didn't really look at having any friends when I started. And then you kind of, again, you, you grow and you gain some maturity and you kind of realize that actually we've all got the one thing we really love in life. We've all got that in common, you know, so how can we not like each other to an extent, um, you know, and then would organize maybe some dinners with the GPDA, like Grand Prix mm. Drivers Association. So we'll do some dinners and all get together and you actually start to soon realize that, yeah, we've got things in common, um, even though we're from all different parts of the world. Um, and then, you know, I started to actually, yeah, make some friends and actually made it easier, it made traveling the world easier when you've got actually some drivers you get on with. And, you know, you'll be in Japan and, you know, you're in a hotel room. It's like, oh, what do I do? And, you know, you get in touch with a few drivers. All right, let's go out to dinner and let's try some strange sushi or whatever. Um, and it breaks it up. And I think as well, you get to an age where you realize that, you know, you, you can separate that to then what happens on track, mm. you know, and it's it's business on track, but we can all kind of 
get on afterwards and, and away from it. Because mm. you were you were pretty close to Jules Bianchi. How how did his death affect you personally and actually the the wider kind of F1 community? Because everyone seemed to be affected by it. That was um, I think that was a big highlight where you realise that yeah we're actually all we all you know we've got rivalries and whatever with with a few drivers but we all actually do in a way have a have a love for each other i think we all have a massive respect for each other whether we show it or not and that was um you know unfortunately it it kind of that moment happened and it highlighted this i guess this love but um yeah that was uh that was tough that was that hit me harder than probably anything that i've ever gone through in my life um just because I don't know, I've been around the sport where there's been accidents and people have passed and that, but it's never happened. I've never been part of the event or really known um, the the person, you know, personally like, like I did with Jules. So that was, um, it was just strange. It was really strange, uh, really hard to kind of understand. Um, I don't know how to feel or how to kind of move on. Um, I had friends, family, tell me and, and ask me and, and kind of assess how I was feeling and I think even the team were like you know because we had to race that following weekend I think and um, they're just like you know if you're not up for this there's no like no shame in um, wanting to kind of sit it out or whatever but I think from that I actually kind of gave me more uh, I kind of want to say like strength or desire to race because I was kind of it, it highlighted the risk and it highlighted that if we are doing this, if I am rocking up and flying all around the world to race these cars, then I'm not doing it justice if I, you know, only going in half-hearted. So it kind of actually made me um, be more of a racer. And, you know, every Sunday I was like, I never took a Sunday for granted. You know, I was like, the lights are going out. I'm going to, you know, race with, with a full heart. And yeah, just uh, just wouldn't be worth the risk or wouldn't do it justice if I'd, you know, only gone... 90% or I, I never mm. kind of wanted to have any regrets after that mm. so I was like just just go all in so yeah um, tough one that was certainly tough did it remind you of that risk because it seems in certainly this generation of drivers that you almost feel bulletproof and it's been so long since a fatality in the sport was it kind of just a stark reminder that actually motorsport is dangerous yeah, and it's easy to forget, you know, like any anything, time time kind of heals things and it also makes you forget. Um, the kind of crazy thing was in, uh, I remember pretty vividly in Japan in 2014, the driver's briefing. Um, we had a GPDA meeting on the Friday and uh, we talked about safety and that it had been 20 or so years um, since, uh, since Senna, who I think was the last the last um, death on an F1 weekend. And, uh, yeah, then obviously that happened on Sunday with Jules. So um, it was, yeah, it was weird. Like, we still we still addressed it and we still, I guess, talked about it. But it was kind of strange that it was highlighted that weekend. So, um, yeah, and even now, like, with the halo and these things, everyone's like, oh, the halo looks, you know, so I guess for, for listeners, the halo's a, a new safety head head device I guess that's coming in the cars in 2018 and um, yeah okay it looks kind of ugly and it kind of closes the cockpit of the Formula 1 car in a way so it's it's something that F1's never really done before but um, 
you know, if something happened a week ago, everyone would be for it again. So mm. it's kind of like time people forget. But yeah, I think the halo is um, it's not as bad as it seems. It's funny, actually, how quickly you get used to the way something looks. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You think it's ugly for a week and then, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. Um, it's not going to make the racing any less exciting. No. The only question I had about it was extraction, though. It must yeah. be really hard to get out of, isn't it? Yeah, we've. that was a lot of questions that were raised. You know, they're like, oh, what if the car's on its side, mm. pushed up against the wall or something, then how do you actually get out? And, uh, yeah, they've kind of gone through all scenarios and at worst it's... Um, at the same level of the open cockpit, if you know what I mean. Like, it's there's never a situation where apparently the halo is worse. Oh, really? That's what they said. Okay. So, okay. I mean, not that they've said they've showed us um, slides and, and examples. So, um, yeah. But I guess we got all we'll have all testing and that to go through it, and I'm sure mm. there'll be quite a few extraction tests as, as we do. Another regular question on this podcast is: What keeps you awake at night? Hmm. You know, I guess in a bad way. Well, like, it could be anything could be a girlfriend snoring, um, could be money worries. Uh, you don't have either at the moment. Uh, no girlfriend at the moment? Nah, just uh, just rolling. I'm Go on, girls. Rolling. You just suddenly heard a collective uh, cheer from all our female listeners. Uh, I, um, no, you know what, I'm, probably a few reasons, but A, I, I it sounds kind of silly, but I don't really have time. Like, I've, I've oh, got... Oh, we're talking about girlfriend now, not sleeping. Yeah, oh, we'll go, okay, we'll go oh, just briefly on that, like... I kind of don't have, like, um, we get back from a race weekend or something. So this suitcase I've had now 11 weeks. 11 weeks what? I've been on the road with this bag. Yeah. So that's an I example. I it's been washed a few times. It has. Okay, it has. Phew. But, like, you know, sometimes I'll just get back to a hotel after a race or wherever I am in the world, mm. and I, I just want to be alone, and I just want to sit and just have, like, my own thoughts. <laughs> and, you know, not like I'm not a loner by any means. I love company. Um but it's it's I think it's it is hard to kind of you know looking after yourself, let alone looking after and, and having love mm. for someone else kind of full time is is not that easy. Like I, I I I don't know how some of the guys do it, you know, with kids and that and travel all the time. I kind of take my hat off to them. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not quite there, not quite there yet. So um, do you think it would undermine your racing if you did have that distraction of a a companion? <laughs> I, I think so, like, um, yeah, I mean, it, for now, I think, like, I, I got a good balance and I've still got the freedom to go and travel and do what I want when I want, but I've also got, you know, my time and, and you know, time to myself when I need it and don't have the pressure or the stress of, of trying to kind of look after someone else. So it's it's selfish for sure, um, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at at the mm. moment and, and the reality of my life uh, at this stage. Um, no man is an island, though, Daniel. Uh, you know, there's going to no, be I, and look, girls I, I would, getting in touch with the program. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, and look, I love, I love, um, I love women. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do. But uh, no, just I love, I love kids as well. Like we grew up, you know, with lots of little cousins and all that. Mm. And no, you've got a nephew, sure. one year old nephew, Isaac. Yeah. Little Isaac, Aww. so little legend. So I've got a lot of affection, love for for kids, and for sure one day, you know, I'd love to have a family. So I'm not not saying I want to be a um, a lone wolf my whole life but uh right now it certainly feels feels right for me um and what was the oh what keeps oh, me awake yeah, at night yeah yeah um i think everyone's always got stresses or things on their mind and and for sure they might be smaller than some other things so um 
What keeps me awake? Jet lag. It's jet lag, yeah. yeah That's I, a I, wounder. I mean, you have to say, with the amount of travelling you do, you have yeah. no idea what time zone you're on. No, and it gets to a point, like, we have jet lag kind of programmes that we can follow and help us when we're going, you know, across the other side of the Atlantic or something, but a lot of the time you just, like, sleep when you can and if you're awake, deal with it and suck it up. So uh, it's not it's not maybe the most scientific approach, but... um sometimes you've got to go through it and there'll be media events or stuff that you can't get out of so yeah um other than jet lag i think what keeps me awake sometimes is just i just get excited i get excited about <laughs> life um upcoming events or things that's and, so nice yeah like going home for christmas you know like even when i'm a month out i'll just be awake at night and i'll be like oh i can't wait and i'll plan things what i'm gonna do and yeah so there's always something to look forward to i guess in the life I, i've been living so i'm that kind of keeps me up or I'll wake up early and then struggle to get back to sleep because I'm like, oh. Like this morning. Yeah. Five o'clock you're awake. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, I didn't necessarily go to bed early either. But um, yeah, that's just me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hypo kid. And um, I guess once my career is done, I'll, I'll probably enjoy some 12-hour sleeps. Oh, not I if you have kids. Get that. Yeah, not if you've yeah. got kids, trust me. Jeez. I'll be 50 by the time I have my first kid by the sounds of it. <laughs> You'll be fine. Much like many of the other men in Monaco. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully not. In the Pink is the name of this podcast. And it's all when about... When I hear In the Pink, oh, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of my childhood. Oh. At school, we would say something else. <laughs> it wouldn't be In the Pink. It would be uh, Two In the Pink and then something else. But forget about it. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Producer Jamie and producer Tim are in my ear laughing. I, so, in the pink to me just well, tell, means... Tell me what, because I, as a kid, yeah. in the pink was something else, but go on. Okay, well, Google it. It basically just means you're in rude health, you're in a good place, you're at the pinnacle of your career, your life. Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking. I like that. Yours yeah. is better. Good, thank you. I just think, <laughs> just think you might be being a bit naughty. Well, um, it, was just, it was what the cool kids were doing at school, I guess. <laughs> I clearly wasn't a cool kid then. <laughs> I went to an all-girls school. Does that explain things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, well, okay, okay. In most cases. Okay. So, <laughs> so, in the pink, happiness, what is your definition of it? How do you think we can strive towards it? Because I have to say... The general consensus on you is you are the happiest man in the paddock. You seem to have this ability when the visor goes down to be a ruthless racer. And I think that's where the respect comes from. That You don't fool around in the car, but as soon as you're out of it. I have never had a bad interview with you. And I talked to all the other reporters and presenters in, in the pit lane. And even if you've had a crap weekend, you put a smile on. And you certainly don't project any negativity onto whoever you're talking to. You are one of life's radiators rather than drains. Do you have some tissues? <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> but Emotional. it's true, though. It is no, true. I, it I, is I true. It. You know, and it's it's important to surround yourself by radiators in life. I yeah. remember talking to a guy that I work with um, at our charity who said the most important thing is surround yourself by ra- life's radiators, not drains, and then you will be productive. Yes. Yeah, you don't want people droning you out and call them sappuccinos. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sap the life and energy out of you. So, uh, yeah, it's look, I think happiness is the key to so many things. And for me, I've noticed happiness has been the key to success. You know, like, uh, you know, in a, in a brief example, I know that 
my, from a racing point of view, if I'm happy, if I'm having a good weekend and I've just got kind of a, a spring in my step and I'm putting the helmet on with, you know, with a smile, I'm normally having a, a great race or a great session or, you know, like, so I think happy, happiness is a, is a form of kind of freedom as well. And, um, you know, all, all I would kind of say is that I, I kind of get a bit upset when people get kind of just comfortable because I just think there's a lot more to life than being comfortable. Um, people kind of settle for maybe a certain job or a certain lifestyle and it's fine but I think it could be better you know and I think um, you know do something that makes you happy don't just do a job because you're a lot of people are like oh but I'll, I'll work hard now and then I'll you know when in 20 years time I'll be able to buy the front door of my house that I always wanted and um, I think you can have both I really do and um, there's been many examples over time of, of people who have done great things, but just find what makes you happy. Be surrounded by good people, happy people. And um, yeah, it's not that hard. It really isn't. So yeah, if you're not happy with your current situation, do something about it. Yeah, good stuff. Well, look, it feels appropriate, feels right to finish on a song. I feel like, oh, I feel like you know, We'll just continue that happy vibe. All right. So, um, you know, I know that you quite enjoy singing. Actually, Brendan Hartley has gone on record as saying that you love to sing. And All right, so love and being able is two <laughs> different things. That doesn't matter. I love singing in the shower. Yeah. Can I sing in the shower? Absolutely not. Doesn't matter. All doesn't right. matter. So what, what are you throwing at me? So I'm going to give you a choice. So you, you've got two categories, um, and I've got a song from each. I'm not going to oh tell boy. you what those songs are, but your choice is either Disney or Country. So would you like to choose I, I a feel, Disney song or country song? I'm going to go country because okay. I feel Disney will carry a few high notes and I uh, can't do that. That's actually a pretty good point. Now, had you gone for Disney, it was quite an easy one to sing. It was The Bare Necessities from Jungle Book. Oh, OK. Which is actually just... I don't just... really know it, though. I do, but I don't, so I'm glad I missed you that. You can look on the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy hands and maybe try a few. I only know this spot, back spot to front. the person in the room who has kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wilf's favourite song of all time. Oh, he loves it. You eat ants. You legend. better believe it. Um, but I think you might be pleased with your choice because your country one is Wagon Wheel. Yes. My Old Crow Medicine, Medicine Show. Show. I like so it. should we should we give it a go? I mean, I think you should do the verse on your own, and then maybe I'll come in with the chorus. Are you going to do the chorus? Yeah, I mean, I'll just All you right. know, I'll just give you a bit of support. Actually, I'm hoping we've got a bit of backing music. Um, yeah, okay. So we're gonna we're gonna have a bit of backing music. There are are the we lyrics. really? All right. I, let's let's apologise to um, everyone in advance for this. I mean, I've seen you being pretty arrogant. You've actually tossed aside the lyrics. So confident are you in your knowledge of this song? We'll see when I get on the spot. Okay. Again, I apologise for viewers or listeners. Listeners. Well, no, some can view. There's a podcast. There's a GoPro. That's what I meant to say. Alrighty. So you just come in when you're ready. Okay. We'll see how my musical timing is probably terrible. One, two, one, two, three. Heading down south to the land of the pine Thumbing my way into North Carolina Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights Oh, he's gonna up and up. <laughs> I made it down the coast and some fall The voice is throwing me off <laughs> And I'm hoping for rally I can see my baby tonight So 
me mama like a wagon wheel Rock me mama any way you feel Hey mama rock me Rock me mama like the wind in the rain Rock me mama like a southbound train Hey mama rock me I want to apologise to anyone listening. It's beautiful. Just keep it going. Come on. All right. Feel it, baby. Feel it. I'm going to take the headphones off again. I got this. <laughs> Running from the cold up in New England. I was born to be a fiddler in an old town string band. My baby plays a guitar. I pick a banjo now. Oh, the North Country winners keep on getting me down Last my money playing poker so I hacked it up late But I ain't a turning back to living that whole life no more So rock me mama like a wagon wheel Rock me mama any way you feel Hey mama rock me Yeah. Rock me, mama, like the wind and the rain. What you gonna Rock do? me, mama, like a southbound okay. train. Okay. Hey, mama, rock me. Alrighty. Old Crow Medicine Show. Shout out. <laughs> they can probably stop now, right? No, no, no. I want the next one. Really? Just say so here you see Roanoke. Oh, it's good. Walking to the south, out of Roanoke I caught a trucker out of Philly, had a nice long talk He's a hit of us from the Coaling Gap A Johnson City, Tennessee That guy again to move on Beautiful! Daniel Ricardo, ladies and gentlemen. A Johnson City. He's still going. Tennessee, and I gotta get a move on before the sun. I hear my baby calling my name in an order. She's the only one. If I die her early, least I will die free. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. People's ears are bleeding. I kind of like it. What a pleasure. Thank you very much, Daniel. Um, great season. Great to have you with us. Have an amazing Christmas back in Australia. Um, thank you for your wonderful smile and company all season. Thanks for having me in your pink. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Natalie. <laughs> Terrible. You've been listening to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham, and my guest today, Daniel Ricardo. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 